Welcome to the Linwood Covenant Church Podcast, presented by Pastors Dave Osterkamp, Rachel Hart, and Chris Kelly. Join us each week as we dive into the timeless wisdom of Scripture, exploring Jesus' message of love, hope, and faith that unites us all. So sit back, relax, and let's get into this week's service. We've been looking at this idea of what it means to be a follower, that as Christians we follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, and so... In September, we looked at some ideas of what that meant to be a follower, and now we've spent some time looking at different people that followed Christ and what we can learn from them. And so we've been following Peter for the last number of weeks. I think next week will be our last week with Peter, but it's going to be a big one. We're going to look at Peter um, during the last week of Jesus's life and after, and so we're going to cover a lot of ground uh, next week. Today's story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so three of the four Gospels, and Peter is, uh, is mentioned in this story, so I thought it would be a good one to cover. The rich and the kingdom of God, Matthew 19, uh, starting in verse 16. Here's what the word of God says. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And why do you, why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There was only one who was good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your, mo- your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The word of the Lord. I invite you also to join us for Sunday school um, at 11 o'clock or a little before down the south hallway here. We'll we'll dive into some some of the things we don't get to cover uh, in the sermon. When I was a youth pastor in the fall, around this time of year, I would often gather young people and we would go and we would help with fall cleaning for those that were not so young. And, and we'd go out and we would, you know, rake the leaves, mow the lawn, get everything tidied up for the, uh, for the incoming winter. And, and some youth were more enthusiastic about this endeavor than others. And, and so you try to motivate them. And I don't know if we were talking about Second Timothy, where it talks about receiving a crown in heaven. It mentions it there. Other verses probably mention it as well. But I remember quite clearly that I was motivating them by adding jewels to their crown. 
So I was saying, come on, let's go, let's go rake up, let's say, Martha's yard. And, and you'll get a jewel in your crown. We're getting some jewels in our crown. And so we, would, we were kind of just talking about it all, all day that day. And you'd get a bag of dirty leaves together and say, oh, that's another jewel. Let's go get a, another bag. Let's go to another yard. And let's get some more jewels for our crown. And somewhere during the day, some, some young person uh, was thinking, and, and a wise teenager said, aren't we supposed to be doing this because we love Martha? Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I suppose. Um, that's, that's probably true. Uh, there's this interesting dynamic. The Bible talks about rewards, but it also talks about loving people, right? Like, love your neighbor, love God, um, forget about yourself, die to yourself, and, 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 and but there, there, there is reward. Like, there's this, there's this interesting dynamic, and I guess the, the question is, you know, how does it all work together? Is the point to help people so that you can cash in your reward one day? That's what I was telling our teenagers, basically. Like, let's go help people. You're going to cash this in at some point. Your crown's going to look sweet. Kind of makes it sound like the whole world is a, is a, is a Chuck E. Cheese arcade, right? Have you ever, you ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? You know, you like... You do well at the games and you get tickets. And you do well at this game and you get more tickets. And you do well at this game and you do more tickets. And at the end of the day, you cash in your tickets for some sweet or not so sweet prize at, at Chuck E. Cheese. But that can be how we kind of look at, at life. That's kind of how I was telling the teenagers to look at life. You know, you get to heaven and you cash in your tickets and you see what happens. And I don't, I don't think, I think that teenager was right. Like, that's not great theology. It's not a great motivation. It's better than, it's better than uh, some motivations, but it's still not ideal. God's not looking for people to collect tickets to try to save their own hide or to try to get a fancier crown. In fact, Matthew 19.30, we're going to kind of take this scripture backwards Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Some commentators will say that's kind of where, that's, that's kind of the idea. If, you know, if your motivation, yeah, you're loving your neighbor, but it's kind of for your own benefit, uh, you're trying to be first, you're going to be last. And, and those that are, are truly there to love Martha and know that Martha, Martha needs some help, um, they're the ones that seem to really truly get it. Between God and us, it's not supposed to be a transaction. I do this for you, so then you do this for me. Where our relationship is, is nothing more, really, than the, the ticket taker at the Chuck E. Cheese arcade. Oh, hey, God, here's my tickets. I take my prize. That's, it's supposed to be so much deeper than that, like so much more meaningful than that. Between God and us, it's, it's not supposed to be a game of manipulation where I will do what I need to do in order to get God to do what I need him to do. And it's so easy to slip into that. How do I get God to do what I need him to do? I'll do that. This brings us to this disturbing story of the rich young ruler. As I mentioned, it's a story told in Matthew and Mark and Luke. In 1916, verse, chapter 19, verse 16, the rich young ruler starts asking some questions. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Is that a good question? Huh, not a bad question. Maybe not the best question, but it's definitely not a bad question. It's a question a lot of us ask, but it is, if you think about it, kind of a self-focused question. Hey, 
what do I need to do to save my hide, basically, is, is, the, is, is, the, is the question. He seems to know that he's done a lot. He's, he's obeyed the laws, and, he, and nobody's arguing that. He seems to be a very disciplined uh, young man. And he says, he says, I've kept all those in verse 20. What do I still lack? Better question. Better question. A question that, that we should ask God. What do I still lack? God will answer that. He's about to answer it for the rich young ruler. If you're going to choose the tw- between the two questions, I'd say the second question is better. And then you get to, to Peter. Peter's question is also self-focused. Peter, the spokesman for the group, He says in verse 27, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Again, okay, we've done a lot. We've collected a lot of tickets, I think. What do we get when we cash them in? Like we're going to get something good, right? We're not going to get the little bouncy ball. We're going to get that stuffed animal up there. Uh, We're going to get something something good, right? And, And it's a great challenge of us as human beings to get the focus off of ourselves, This man, the rich young ruler, he has lived a very disciplined life. He's obeyed the basic requirements of the law. They they, they really defined a lot of these requirements as as pretty pretty basic. So in their minds, it was possible. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount pushed them to a much deeper and complicated uh, level. But but for the Jewish people, they kind of made a a baseline. And and this man made made an intention of living disciplined, living for his neighbor. When Jesus says to give all you have to the poor, it's not like this man isn't giving anything to the poor. He's, he's following the letter of the law quite obviously. And if you read the Old Testament, like that's part of that is 10% of what, of what you make, you give. And so it's safe to assume this man's giving 10%, which is a, is a fair number. You think about what you make and 10% of that, it's a, it, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good number. And so Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus is answering that question when he said, what do I still lack? He knew what the the God of, of this man's life really was, that what he really needs to learn to let go of is, is his security that he's clinging onto. Question, where in the Bible do we see people actually doing this, selling what they have and and giving to others. One is our friend Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, a thief, really. He had gotten himself rich on the backs of others. That's not what you're supposed to do. And he met Jesus. Jesus invited him to the table, and they had dinner together. The conversation isn't recorded, but it was a life-changing conversation for for, Zachariah, for Zacchaeus, interesting for the, the Luke, when Luke tells the story, in chapter 18, Luke tells the story of the rich young ruler, and in chapter 19, he tells the story of Zacchaeus. You see somebody actually realizing what has control of their life and letting go of that. Now, Zacchaeus um, doesn't say that he sold everything, but he started to instinctively give back to the people that he hurt. Um, and trying to make it right. He gave up a lot, a lot of his, of, of his, of his self-worth. Where else do we see it? You see it in Acts chapter 2, the early church, the start of the church. If you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, you see these words. They, the followers of, of Jesus, devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching, to the teachings of Peter and, and his apostles, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. We're doing those things, and to prayer. We're doing all these things. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and the, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. A couple chapters later in Acts chapter 4, we get the same, the same story, really. A few chapters later, it tells again what's happening in the early church. And it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. So you see these beautiful acts of pretty radical generosity happening. And so, and so you see this happening, but their motivation, what was their motivation? Was it a fancier crown? It doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us who those people even were. Zacchaeus we know, but the people in Acts, we don't know their names. It doesn't seem though they were cashing in more tokens for the biggest stuffed animals at Chuck E. Cheese. It seems like they were people who knew other people that were really hurting and that were going through some tough times. When Jesus said to the rich young ruler, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, what did he, what did he mean? He was using two things that they knew, this huge animal with a big hump, these big old camels. We've seen camels. We don't see them every day, but they're big. And then this small little needle that's used to sew and, 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 uh, and you know, fix holes in clothes and stuff. And, and it says that they were, they were astonished, and you should be. Jesus was trying, as he often did, was trying to, to shock people, to get their attention, uh, to put them on edge. And all of those things this story should do for me and for you. Like, whoa, there's a lot of things that are coming at us to make actually following Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength really challenging. And we're foolish to think that it's easy to do. And Jesus is saying, when, when you're in a place of wealth, which, which many of us, including myself, are in that place, then it's even more challenging. Beware of that. Know what you're, what you're signing up for. Like, there's going to be some obstacles for every human being. But especially so when life is pretty comfortable. Jesus says... With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. They say, well, who is, how can this, does this mean that, that everybody that's, that's got some means and some wealth is out? Well, no, Jesus said, no, I just want you to know it's especially challenging. But with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So that's good news. He doesn't say, yeah, everybody that's got this income and above, they're gonzo. He doesn't say that. He says, yeah. A camel in an eye of a needle, it seems impossible for man. God is a big God. He can do a lot of things. You can cue Peter and John looking at each other and saying, 
So you're telling me we have a chance, right? Like that's, that's kind of like, yeah, yeah, there's a chance. There's a, there's a chance here. Um, and we see that. You see Matthew who wrote this book, tax collector, wealthy. He leaves his, his occupation and he goes to follow Jesus. We talk about Zacchaeus, Joseph of Arimathea, comes up in the Gospels, Acts 2 and 4. Like we, we see it, but Jesus says, Jesus says, don't think it's not going to be challenging. Peter then asked this question. His attention is back on himself. What then will there be for us? Peter, he left his, his occupation and his family to go and follow Jesus. So Peter's gotten a lot right. And he's, he's thinking about his own story. Well, I kind of did this, God. And, and Jesus, Jesus affirms that. But if you look in chapter 20, if you have your Bibles open, you look at, at the next story that Matthew includes. Matthew includes stories in an order for a reason. And so it seems to be that, that, that Matthew is, is, is saying, okay, this is a story Jesus would tell. Uh, he probably, a lot of these stories, I would imagine he told more than once. And the next story that Matthew transitions to is this story. He said, there was a, a place where there was, I'm going to, I'm going to give you kind of Dave's version, so a little bit of a paraphrase here. Um, we're going to add a few details to the story, so you can read it and know what details I added. But let's just imagine this. This is a fictitious story, but it's a real-life scenario that would play out. So he said, let's just imagine there were 100 men that gathered you know, right outside the local Walmart looking for work and needing work. These guys relied on work each day to, to feed their their families, and at 6 a.m., a, a man rolled up and hired 20 of them and said, hey, guys, if you'll work for me until 6 p.m. tonight, I'll give you 200 bucks. Decent wage for 2023. They were excited. Yes, I'm going to be able to buy some groceries and pay a light bill. Let's, let's go. There was 80 men that were left there. Ah, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have much money this week. At 9 a.m., the same man rolls up. He says, guys, I need 20 more, 20 more guys. And he calls the first 20. He says, you work till 6 p.m., 200 bucks. Yes. And then the other guys wait there. Hour, hour, noon, same guy pulls up. Hey, I need 20 more guys. 6 p.m., I'm going to give you, if you'll work for me, noon to 6, 200 bucks. Yes. And they go. And then at, at 3 p.m., he pulls up. There's 40 guys left. He says, guys, I need 20 more. I need you for three hours. I'll give you 200 bucks. And, and, and they go. Then at 5 p.m., he rolls up again, and there's 20 guys left, 20 guys that had just been sitting there, 20 guys that hadn't gone home because they didn't know exactly how to face their wife and their kids, what they're going to tell them, say, yeah, a lot of people got chosen, but I didn't, or, or what, how the look in, in their eyes of like, well, why didn't you get chosen? Why didn't you jump in the car? How come you didn't, you didn't make it? And, and, he, and they just couldn't bring themselves to, to state the disappointment of the failure of the day when at five o'clock, lo and behold, here comes the car again. The guy, he says, guys, there's 20 of you left? Perfect. I need 20 for an hour and I'll give you 200 bucks. Good news. Then Jesus said, when they go to pay, the guys that got there at 6 a.m. start seeing the guys that got there at 5 p.m. get 200s just like they're getting 200s. And they start complaining and grumbling and moaning. I've been out here in the sun working all day. And you're getting, you're getting the, same, the same amount. And Jesus says, woe to you if you forget that your neighbors are in the same place as you. 
at 6 a.m. You all were there hoping to have enough food to be able to pay some bills and buy some groceries. And you were excited that you got to work from six to six for 200 bucks because that was a, a fair wage. And then as the day goes on, you forget that your friend over here, he's got kids and you know, he's got a family and he about made zero money that day. And instead of, of being thrilled that he gets to go home and look his wife in the eyes and say, honey, I got some money for groceries this week. You're bitter. You're bitter that he got a lot of grace and a, and a gift. Jesus says, the last will be first in chapter 20, verse 16, the same sentence. So the last will be first and the first will be last. The whole key for life with Christ is for the 6 a.m. people to actually know the 5 p.m. people. For when they do, it's a lot harder to be bitter and jealous and angry. Some, it can still happen, as I said, but in theory, if I know, if I'm a 6 a.m.er, and then I know at 5 p.m., I know my friend, let's call him Mark, I know his wife, let's call him Lisa, I know their four kids that they're trying to feed and raise and clothe, Cindy, Jason, Betty, and Sally Sue, who sat on my lap before. I, I, I know them, then then it's a lot more difficult to be like, I can't believe you got 200 bucks. And it's a lot easier to say, yes, you got 200 bucks too. That's so good. I'm so glad he came back and got you. The whole key is for Peter to know Jesus well enough to know that when I follow him, there's enough. When I follow him, I will be okay. That when I pray for my daily bread, it's gonna come. I can take the attention off myself, and I can focus fully on my neighbors and the people around me, um, because God's going to bring my daily bread. He always does. I know he will. I, I, don't, I don't have to elbow my way to the front of the line to get in the van at 6 a.m. Uh, I, I, can, I can be chill. I can be non-anxious. I can be not so revved up and, and jealous and comparing and all about that, because, because I got a God that turns five loaves and two fish into, into a whole meal. I can let go of self-focused thinking. And I can let go of my needs. I can die to myself. I don't have to ask the question, what then will there be for us? I think the whole key for the rich young ruler and for you and I is to be so close to the brokenness of this earth that there are people's names who are hurting that we know. That there's issues. We know there's so many issues in our world. There's so many issues that's paralyzing, right? Like, oh, where do you start? There's so many issues. But that we, we pray and we know that there's certain issues God's called us to focus on and get involved in. The brokenness, we get so close to it that we know the people's names and we know their stories. And, and our, our response is, is not how much can I gather, but the response then is, I read in a book once, the question maybe we should ask is, how little can I live on so that my neighbor might live a little bit better? How little can I live on so that the neighbor that I know and love can live a little bit better? Peter's a slow learner, so am I. So the good news is, is, that, is that God is the God of forgiveness and patience, it's really challenging to have that mindset. How little can I live on so that my neighbor I know and love can live a little bit better? I think it's the question Jesus is challenging us to ask. So my prayer is this as we close. 
May you and I ask God to give us a love for God and a love for neighbor that is so strong. It's so strong that it's strong enough to keep our love for ourselves in its proper place. That's the real challenge. Trying to keep the love for ourselves in its proper place. May you and I ask God to show us what part of the broken world he has equipped us to enter into and may we boldly enter into it. But, but God needs to show us what part, I can't fix the whole, the whole world, but what part of my neighborhood, of the brokenness that's in my sphere of influence have you called me to enter into? Give me space to enter into it. Maybe most importantly, may you and I ask God to forgive us for the many times that we've treated God like he really does work at Chuck E. Cheese and we're just cashing in our tickets for our own prize, that, that, that we have that idea of I'll do this because then I think I'll get this. Thanks be to God that as we look at Peter's life, he continues to forgive Peter. We'll talk about it next week, but he ends up on a beach with Peter telling Peter, I love you, I forgive you, keep going, keep learning. I'm not finished with you yet. C.S. Lewis has a really great quote. I don't have it all in front of me, but he says, God's going to keep pushing you. If you keep following him and you keep showing up to church, he's going to keep pushing you to go deeper, to go further, to work out your motives, to really, truly love God and love neighbor. God, Jesus, Jesus pushes each of us to places of uncomfortability. May we, may, be willing, may we be willing to go there. May we be willing to know that all... Impossible things are possible with God. Let's pray together. God, this passage for me is deeply challenging. Um, as we look at motivations, it can be deeply confusing on why do we do things. But God, uh, you're clear that um, you want us to be near to the broken world, that you are close to the brokenhearted. Help us also to notice those who are hurting. Help us... Um, to be generous with our time, our talent, the resources that you give us. God, help us to, help us to know which part of our, the brokenness in our world, the people in our lives that we need to really push into, that we can be generous towards. God, we thank you that you are a God of forgiveness and second chances, that you don't just leave us in our place of comfortability, but you always, you always chase after us. You always want to show us what's next, that there's something more, something deeper to dig our foundation into. So we thank you, God, for your forgiveness and your grace for us. Show us what next steps you might have for each of us in our specific journey with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's message inspired you to dig deeper into your own relationship with Christ and apply his words to your world. If you like today's message, feel free to check out Linwood Covenant's other podcasts, including past sermons. If you're looking for something to binge beginning to end, check out First Word, our first podcast series that guides listeners through the Book of Mark. You can find all of these wherever podcasts are available. You're also welcome to join us for a full worship service, which streams on YouTube every Sunday morning at 9.30 Central Time. We'll see you next week. And remember, come what may, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ.